Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier League Shells, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and Alex from Maine. Guys, I don't know if it's going to be a fun beginning to this segment, but we've got to talk about Manchester City from the weekend. Rahul, you want to get us kicked off here? I do, but I, I'm going to hold off on the City uh, topic just yet. Let's start with something fun, actually, like you said. Uh, so the FIFA Best Awards took place the, earlier today in Zurich, uh, and Chelsea were heavily featured uh, in these awards. So congratulations to Edward Mendy, who finally gets recognized as the best goalkeeper uh, in the world for the for last year. Uh, funnily enough, that doesn't warrant him a place in the World Eleven, which we can discuss here in a second. Uh, coming to the women's side, Ericsson and Millie Bright uh, feature in the women's Best Eleven. So congratulations to them. Uh, in the men's side, Georgie and Conte uh, make it. So uh, for a long time, Chelsea players weren't making these teams, but it's great to see them uh, doing well and, and making these teams. And then as for the coaches, we have two of the best, as we always know and, and knew. Uh, but the world recognizes that too now, with Tuchel and Emma Hayes being voted as the best coaches in their respective categories. So congratulations to everyone and, and uh, the club in itself. Yeah, thanks for taking the reins on that and stirring us down a positive direction. But interesting debate here with Mandy getting the goalkeeper of the year but not making the team of the year. I'm not sure how that plays out. Alex, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, that's just odd decision-making for me. Um, I think clearly, I mean, almost in a weird way, you saw um, you saw how Donnarumma uh, sort of I don't know, took the, took the head, uh, the headlines off of Mendy, uh, during the Ballon d'Or rankings and such. Um, I think we all were in agreement that that was definitely uh, harsh on Mendy, um, not winning the Yashin trophy, uh, which I think we all said should have been his. So good to see him get some redemption here. But as you said, it's a little, a little odd, um, that you're the best goalkeeper in the world, not in the best team in the world. Um, I, I can't speak too much on it. I feel like sometimes these awards end up almost giving out consolation prizes just by nature of, of how the voting goes down and right. how they want to recognize multiple people. I mean, frankly, we saw uh, Lewandowski, who was pretty hard done by when Messi uh, got the Ballon d'Or uh, previously, and he got some kind of weird award they made up uh, <laughs> on the spot for the first time ever. Uh, so I don't know. I think it's it's not too much to read into. I never I never really worry too much about the awards from the big uh, the big organizations because at the end of the day, um, the people know the people know who the the good players are. I think most people would agree that Mendy had an outstanding year, um, outstanding season, and I think he he did finally get the recognition he deserved, even if that World Eleven snub is a bit odd to me. Yeah, Rahul, I think Alex summarized it well. It's almost like they wanted to keep all parties happy and say, you're the goalkeeper of the year, but let's squeeze in Donnarumma to the team of the year so he gets a chance at some accolades as well, huh? Yeah, I, I don't know what more to say. I think Alex summarized it well. But for Mendy, what a journey. And I think from his Instagram post, if you've not seen it, go check it out. Uh, you can see him just knocking around in the park with some of his friends, and then he's just progressed and progressed and had a tough time uh, to get to where he's gotten so Massive respect to him for that. Lovely story indeed. All right, let's move on. I know we want to talk about Manchester City, but we'll hold off again a little bit longer. 
Some interesting news coming out of Liverpool. Rafael Benitez has been removed as Everton manager. I don't think this is a huge surprise to any of us guys, but some of the names that are being touted to replace him are very old Jose Mourinho. He's been thrown into the hat. I don't know if that's a match made in heaven or not. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo, uh, Roberto Martinez is coming back into the fold. He is actually was very successful at Everton for several years before going over to Belgium. And another Chelsea link here with Frank Lampard potentially could come into the fold. Alex, your thoughts on the firing and potentially who could come in and take the reins at Everton? I mean, that's <laughs> certainly results-based. You've got to have, have seen that coming. Um, Everton have really just been shocking overall. Um, obviously that doesn't stop teams like Chelsea from struggling against them in the glorious month of December. But um, as, as we know, it's, it's, it's a tough business out there. And when coaches don't get results, they get sacked. Chelsea fans know that more than anything. Um, and right. You got to say it's probably the right decision from an Everton standpoint, though, as you said, the question of succession is always interesting. Do you pull in one of those uh, famed relegation survival coaches who always seem to, crop up around mid-season, uh, bring in the, uh, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you where he is right now, but bring in the the big Sams of the world uh, <laughs> to, to just try to keep your club afloat uh, to the end of the season. Do, do you happen to know where Sam Allardyce is at the moment? Unfortunately, I don't, but that's a good maybe, shout if they had need somebody. trying on an Everton kit, who knows? There you go. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, it's always a bit of a toss-up, and here maybe they do end up going with someone who's just experienced enough to ensure they do not drop um, because that would that would truly be a disaster. And I think Frank Lampard, as you were you were dropping his name, it's he has been looking for his next coaching gig. And I think we all know um, we all saw from what he did with a transfer ban uh, in a high pressure environment at Chelsea. Um, he may have been a little in over his head uh, for so early in his career, but he gave it his best and he did a really good job for good portions of his time at Chelsea. I think he also did well on the player recruitment um, slash youth team promotion aspect. We know he really built a great foundation um, upon which we then won the champions league. So if you're looking to build for the future, I don't see any reason why Everton or another club couldn't take a gamble on Frank Lampard, but right now it might be immediate survival um, with proven premier league experience. That's on the uh, top of their minds. Yeah, well said. Rahul, wherever Rafael Benitez has gone since he left Liverpool, he's not always been the most liked figure out there. Coming to Everton, though, as Liverpool's neighbours and, you know, saying some questionable things, stirring up the pot, Luca Dinia left the club with some harsh things to say as well. Where does he go from here? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I mean, he's, I think he's 61. Uh, so the ideal scenario would be, I guess, he he would ride off into the sunset. But probably not how he'd want his career to end. So I think he's going to stick around and he's going to turn into, I think one of those managers that Alex is mentioning that always comes up uh, for any Premier League team that uh, fires their manager as, as a potential replacement. So uh, I think he'll be around the league for, for some more years, but just looking at Everton and what they've been doing, their last win was against Arsenal in December, but before that, their last win was in October. So that's, that in itself tells you the story that things started off very well for them. I think they were at one point sitting top or close to it. And now they sit in 16th with just five wins. So the issues have been there. And I think he's done well getting draws again uh, against Chelsea and, and Man United. But those aren't the games that you 
typically build your season off of anyway as an Everton manager. So uh, another season, another manager gone, and it just seems to be what Everton do now. Yep, hopefully they can find a replacement and a replacement quickly so they can get back to business because as Alex alluded to, they are a big club with a lot of history and to see them go down would not be a good sight at all. But I know you guys are both itching to talk about the Manchester City game, but before that, Rahul, there's one piece of transfer news, Chelsea-specific this time around. What can you share with us on that front? Yeah, real quick. So we've heard the rumors, we've seen the articles that uh, Chelsea have been in touch with Lyon about bringing Emerson back. Uh, some said there's no recall clause, some said there is, uh, but it seems that Emerson does want to return back to Stamford Bridge, so hopefully that helps speed things up and, and he can come back because we, when we get into the City game, we can talk about how we do need a left wing back, and, and Emerson knows our team and has done it for us before. Yeah, hopefully we can come to a conclusion pretty quickly. We're halfway through January at this point. But guys, we've talked about the Manchester City game for the last few minutes here, but let's actually dive into it. Alex, why don't you take us through the starting lineup? Yeah, so for the Manchester City game, uh, we had my uh, preferred player, uh, Christian Pulisic, who uh, we won't even really get into the performance yet, but we had Christian Pulisic uh, starting with Lukaku and Ziyech up top. Um, we had Marcus Alonso and Azpilicueta. Obviously, our wingback shortage has been uh, seriously hurting us. Um, so they were filling in out wide, and then Kovacic and Conte in midfield with Malang Sar, Thiago Silva, Antonio Rudiger, and Kepa Ariza Balaga uh, filling out those final center back slots and goalkeeper. Um, that's, it's a strong team. And I think it's, it's not, we don't want to undersell it because in all fairness, when, when we get absolutely dominated, maybe we look and say, oh, we were just purely outclassed and city is certainly a step above the rest, but that's a strong team. I think we have to recognize that even in uh, a tough, annoying defeat to one of our, uh, I guess it's maybe a little too generous at this point to call us a title title race rival. Um, but one of our serious rivals, this this team, I think on another day could do some damage, um, but we didn't see that this game. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Very strong team overall, especially given our injuries, COVID situation, whatnot. I think it was probably the strongest team that Tuchel could put out, but maybe there's a few items we can discuss over here. Uh, Rahul Hakim Ziyech over maybe Mason Mount. Uh, Hakim Ziyech, while he has an amazing left foot, an eye for a pass, not the fastest play out there given City's team and how quickly they operate with the ball maybe Tuchel got it right maybe he got it wrong your thoughts on the Hakim over Mason I, I was surprised not to see Mason uh starting this game simply because of what you mentioned his energy his ability to press and close down uh when when defenders are passing the ball uh amongst themselves or his ability to come back and help out with the midfield uh so I think we missed him and we missed those uh, characteristics that he brings to the team. Zeke is a good player, but I think uh, in this kind of a game where you knew City were, we're going to have most of the ball and we're going to have to work hard and, and do the hard bit. Uh, personally, not the best fitted for me, uh, Zeke is. And we can get into the rest of the performance, but uh, from the time he spent on the pitch, I think he did nothing up top and nothing to help out in defense. So it kind of just seemed like we were, we were carrying him for most of the game. Yeah. That's a bit unfortunate for Hakim Ziyech, who's had a little bit of a start stop time to his, you know, Chelsea career so far. 
Other than that, uh, Malang Sar gets put in last minute because I think Andres Christensen tests positive with COVID. But no real surprises like we've highlighted. Alex and um, Rahul, you've both alluded to the performance overall. You've said some things there. But let's talk about the guys up front first. Pulisic on the right wing, Hakim Zek on the left wing. It's almost like Tuchel changed things around to surprise people. But we've complained a little bit in, in recent episodes about that they're not playing in the right position. Pulisic specifically thrives on that left wing. Is it an interesting choice, Alex, to stick him out right and, and Hakim Zek on the left? I would say that's certainly not maybe what you would naturally expect from those players. I mean, we've been seeing all season uh, Ziek on the right. Uh, and we've seen Polisic on the left do quite well on a number of occasions, though I'm not, I, nothing really surprises me with regard to Polisic's position anymore. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's certainly a situation that one could look at and say, oh, would they, would they have done better in their, in their natural positions, whatnot? Um, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to analyze looking back. So all we can say is we know they both have talent. We know they can both play well from the wing, regardless of what wing that is, they've got ability, um, but it just wasn't really on show. Yeah. And overall, I think that cascaded through the entire team, not much in the first half as way of creativity as a whole Manchester city, pretty much dominated possession, not to the typical 70, 80%. It was, up in the high 50s, we did manage to get a little bit of a ball and we defended well overall. I think a good shout out to Malang Sar coming in last minute and playing really well. But really nothing stood out in that first half. Rahul, any comments on the team overall in that first half? No, I mean, the plan was to sit low, uh, kind of let City have the ball at, at, for most of the the game. And when we had our chances, counter or open them up if we could and we didn't do it at the end of the first half. You're thinking, okay, well, it's still nil-nil and it's still there for either team to take. Uh, and personally, I think Tuchel would have preferred to go in at nil-nil versus going down one-nil or two. Uh, so overall, nothing much more about the first half. You you kind of almost expect that in the second half, they turn it up and, and that's where we'll get into the discussion about what went or what didn't go right. Yeah, I mean, go right into the second half right there. And, you know, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me was a major Lukaku chance. And I hate to say major because in these games, you're not going to get a lot of chances. And so you hope that he can get his chances. But it's a good ball from Kovacic to find him. Lukaku is semi one-on-one with Ederson. Of course, he does have pressure either side of him. Tries to dink it slash finish it slash push it as hard as he can. But Ederson blocks it really well. And I think that kind of set the tone for the entire second half. Alex, your thoughts on that situation? Was it kind of the key moment of the match there? I mean, I, I've got to I've got to give the disclaimer. I did not, unfortunately, get the chance to watch this match. I, maybe, unfortunately, is uh, debatable. But I do think from what I saw of it afterwards, it, it is a key moment. But at the same time, every... Every game has key moments that are missed. I think we've seen this a few times as well in in past games where it's easy to point fingers when you maybe only get one or two good opportunities in a match. The best teams, um, and I will say we defended pretty well against Manchester City from what I saw um, because they were actually shut down quite a bit um, in terms of their attacking. But the best teams, like I would say Manchester City against your usual team, someone who isn't quite as defensively drilled as Chelsea under Tuchel, um, creates three, four, five, six really good goal scoring chances every game. And then missing one chance if you're a striker 
doesn't plaster you all over the headlines as the one who sold the game because your friend bagged a hat trick regardless. So it's, I think it's, it's easy to point fingers. Um, but I, I, I'm always a little wary to, to sort of isolate any one instance, because I think on the whole, the attack just didn't show up and it is nice. It is nice. If you can maybe salvage a goal, salvage a point, um, by coming up big in a, in a serious moment like that. But Lukaku can't score every chance. Um, obviously I'm sure he will have liked to, but it is what it is. And I'm not blaming him, uh, based on that one missed chance. Fair enough. Rahul Alex has shared his opinion. He's on the side of that. It's, it's a possibility. These things happen. Should Lukaku score that in your opinion? Simple answer is yes. I mean, that's what we brought him for, right? Like we spent all this money, um, He's the guy, at the end of the day, you expect to get the goals. I, I hear everything that Alex is saying. And it wasn't an easy opportunity because Kovac just right. plays a brilliant ball. Lukaku, to his credit, makes a great run between the two center backs and latches onto the ball. Um, Ederson does come out early, and I think that narrows down the angle for Lukaku and ultimately requires him to make a decision if he's either going to touch it and go further or his first touch is an attempt to score. And that's exactly what he does. He tries to bend it around him and he can't get the right angle, can't get the right uh, curve. And Ederson, to his credit, saves it. And it goes away. And then from that point, you're thinking, is there going to be another opportunity? Because Lukaku did struggle in this game. Uh, and that was maybe the best chance. And, and it didn't work out. And we can't sit here and, and criticize him too much because at the end of the day, he is the professional player here and we're just commentating and providing our opinion. Um, but simple answer. Yes. He should have scored. Yeah. Look, you touched on the hundred million pound man. You know, we brought him in to do that. And just to have a little dig at Manchester city, their hundred million pound man didn't do much in that game either. So I'll add that in there, but let's move on and talk about what they did do well. And that was getting the goal. Kevin De Bruyne, the one that got away, he did very, very well in the midfield. N'Golo Kante chased him, tried to tackle him, tried to rugby tackle him to get him down, but De Bruyne keeps his balance and has an incredible curler into the far corner and deserves a goal, lovely goal. Is would KDB fit well into this team right now with the midfield struggles we've had, Alex? <laughs> Goodness, I mean, it, I don't even want to think about anymore the fact <laughs> that we could have Kevin De Bruyne in our midfield um, same goes for the likes of Mohamed Salah. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, he, he's, he is world-class and we know that. And even when he's not in his absolute very best form overall, he has moments of brilliance in him. Um, and just, I, I saw a breakdown too of the way he took the shot, the way he opened up his feet um, and how he took it really quickly caused Kepa to step uh, to the other side uh, maybe this will bring up another uh, another topic, but caused Kepa to sort of set himself. Um, but then he took the shot even quicker than our defenders or goalkeeper were expecting. Right. And that's just what you get from, from world-class attacking talent like Kevin De Bruyne. You get someone who unsettles, goes through tackles, and comes up with a big goal when his team needs him. Well said. And you have brought something to mind that I'd like to maybe stir the pot a little bit. Rahul, with Mendy's height, maybe long arm reach, does Mendy save that compared to Kepa? I can't give you a simple answer here because I we just don't know, right? Mendy yeah. could have gotten there. Mendy couldn't have gotten there. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to Kevin De Bruyne and him 
digging it out from under his feet and turning it into a gold, uh, which is the quality of the man. And if there was a way they were going to score against Kepa, it was probably going to be outside the box, uh, which is sad to say because he has been good, but that is a weakness in, in, in this game. It got exploited. Alex, your thoughts on Rahul's half opinion here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've always been a pretty big defender of Kepa. Um, and I think what has to be said is it's, it's, an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate goal to concede, but so is every goal. Um, and I, I think it's easy to point fingers, but you have to realize that Kepa has been quite fantastic. And I'm, I'm pulling up the stats here under Tuchel. Um, this was, I believe last game. Um, he was looking at a plus 9.1 on Kepa's performance versus expected goals under Tuchel. So that means um, if he'd saved every goal that statistically the analysts say he should have, um, he would be at zero. He's supposedly not only just saved the ones he should have, but he's saved us 9.1 goals um, that he wouldn't have been expected to save just through, we've seen a number of brilliant 1v1 stops that he's made of late. Um, he's made some really clutch penalty saves. I think it's got to be said um, that Kepa is, in my opinion, good enough to start for most teams. I think we're lucky to have him as a backup. And it's so easy, especially when you're spoiled by having someone as tall and as good and as confident and as high quality as Mendy to say, oh, if he were there, he would have saved that. But we've also got to remember Mendy gave up a few really iffy goals um, in recent memory, a few that he misjudged um, and some that you would say he should never be conceding that one. So I think it's, it's not too productive to point fingers there. Um, I'm, I'm just a big Kepa backer. I think he's really revitalized his form under Tuchel. And I've made this point, I think I made it last year, um, last season, that is, when during some of our 1-0 wins against City, here they did the opposite to us. Um, but I think if you don't go out and score a goal, you have to expect to lose the game. And, you know, maybe that's, you say, my goalkeeper could have done a little better on that goal we conceded. But if you put... 11 players on the pitch or call it 10 outfield players and your 10 outfield players can't put the ball in the net. They should be expecting to lose that game because their job is to score. Um, and, you know, on another day, maybe Lukaku scores that chance. Kepa still concedes the goal and it's a draw. Maybe Lukaku scores the chance. Kepa saves the goal and we win. It's really fine margins, but I think, I think you just have to expect to lose if you can't score a goal. So I'm not going to hold it too much against him. And as we were saying, Kevin De Bruyne, world-class, dug it out of his feet, completely shirked a potential Conte two-footer as well. Um, I mean, you don't see everyone get away from Angola like that. So I think just credit to De Bruyne, and I'm not going to personally uh, hop on the Kepa hype train for that one. <laughs> no, look, lovely words of encouragement to Kepa, and I think you summarized it really well. Rahul, I'll bring you in for a quick word. No, I was just going to add to Kepa's defense. He did save us in the first half with the one, uh, 1v1 versus Grealish. So uh, he has come up leaps and bounds from what we saw about 18 months ago. Uh, one weakness is the outside shots that come in maybe a little unexpectedly, and, and he just needs to anticipate a little bit better. But that's me just being a little more critical than I need to be. So Kepa didn't lose us this game. I think there are other issues and, and things that we didn't do right. Uh, and a second 1-0 loss to City this season, which ultimately we're going to be losing to the champions. It's it's not a bad thing. But if we want to be there and not 13 points behind, we do have to beat them uh, and score the goals. 
Absolutely. And I think Chuko would reiterate some of the things. I know you have some comments you've captured from his after-game interview. Anything you can share with us that would shed light on what's going on at Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, look, we've touched on the attacking issues that we've had every time we've dropped points. And similarly, he said the same thing here. He said we had eight or nine attacking transitions in the first half and zero touches in the box, which basically tells you we, we were doing the right things and winning the ball and, and going on the attack, but not getting into the box which when you have a man like Lukaku is a little bit difficult to, to swallow. And on the Lukaku piece, I think he said, um, they asked him, could you have gotten him more involved? And he ultimately said, it's down to Lukaku to get involved. We will do what we can, but he lost the possession a few times. And, and we saw that the first touch wasn't going right for him. Uh, and I think Tuchel was brutally honest and almost makes me wonder, and I think you were touching on it too, is, some of the comments about Lukaku, were they coming from that interview that happened? And we may be stirring the pot here, but um, I think Tuchel basically is saying, if you want to do your talking, do it on the pitch. Yeah, look, I mean, not, not at the risk of stirring the pot, but I think of opening up this discussion, you would have thought that this was put to bed, that particular situation of the Italian interview. It was closed behind doors. It was discussed there. But little niggling comments like this almost reopen that door to there's there's a little bit of a crack in the chink. Obviously, the armor this season is not perfect, but when a crack like this appears, it gives you a little bit of worry. So that's just something we need to pay attention to. But overall, I think the game can be summarized as is. Kevin De Bruyne had a wonderful goal. It won Manchester City the game, and that's really what it comes down to. Chelsea were not atrocious on the day. We just didn't have the best attacking lineup at that point in time. Alex, do you have any closing thoughts on the Manchester City game before we discuss some other Premier League games? Well, I will say, um, just sort of looking at some of the stats here, uh, we've got one stat of Tuchel having tried 11 different attacking combinations um, in Lukaku's 21 appearances across all competitions. That's something I'd been thinking about earlier in the day, um, just sort of casually. I was, I was pondering uh, Chelsea to myself, as I do. And I just thought, you know what, it is, it is difficult. Um, it is obviously difficult when we're, we're having injury crises and we're having COVID crises and we're having players in and out of form. And that's when I, I sort of realized, like, it would be nice. I, I appreciate the fact that we're pretty interchangeable and we can put players at different positions. We can have decent depth to somewhat respectably get through even very tough periods um, things like this past December um, when we sort of we sort of scraped through. Uh, but I, I do like the idea of having a set strongest lineup. Um, and even if it's not absolutely perfect, it is difficult because you talk about teams that have defined an era. Um, like you talk about Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. You talk about, um, I don't know, it, it's it's really what, what occurred to me. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm circulating the point without getting to it but what occurred to me is that every good team that really writes themselves in history uh for whatever reason generally has a set iconic set of starters so you have msn for barcelona you had bale benzema cristiano bbc at real madrid you had um i mean i'm, I'm trying to think of more examples here you have liverpool when they went on their barnstorming run for a couple of years and had mane uh salah and Firmino um, completely combining and, and shredding defenses. Now, I don't think that means you have to have three world-class players who start every single game because depth is still a great asset. But I think 
you absolutely want to have an idea of a set of three players, if you're playing with a front three, who you know have good chemistry and understanding. And it's very difficult. It's not necessarily Tuchel's fault because he's been forced into a tough position with a lot of injuries, fitness issues, um, and a packed schedule where we were playing two games a week uh, for a month plus. It's, it's tough because you can't really point fingers at anyone and you know all these players want to play. You know they are all quality. But, I mean, it just, it just did occur to me today. You know, it's tough to build an era-defining team or really, really lead a title charge if you don't know who you can put on the team sheet that's going to work together well, who's got a lockdown position that you know they can show up every game in, um, or the majority of the games. It's, it's just something to consider. Um, and I don't know if maybe that's, that's somewhere where we would be better off if we had a slightly more nailed on front three and we just gave them a few games and said, you know what, there might be some poor performances, but they've got to develop and understand and you, you look at the Chelsea of old, and I'm going back to maybe 2003 to 2010-ish, that period where we were highly successful, made Champions League finals and everything. And in fact, in 2012, when it went on, we had a core spine of players. Maybe that's a, a way to talk about it, Alex. I know you mentioned the front three, but there were regular starters in your Didier Drogba, your Frank Lampard, your John Terry, your Petr Cech. And of course, there were cores like Ashley Cole, Ricardo Carvalho for many years. And, and those are the guys that bring stability. So it's a, a very well said point, And that would help some of the players thrive. If, you know, Christian Pulisic, we've talked so much about in that post-lockdown form where he played game after game after game and showed his real quality. So uh, hopefully this can happen. Hopefully we can get past this season. I know there's a lot more to play for, so we don't have to, to panic just yet. But maybe you get to the summertime and Tuchel has a chance to change out some players that are not necessarily making it into his week-in, week-out squad. And at the same time, Chelsea is incredibly blessed with talent going really, really deep. I mean, we have like six players to play three positions in the attacking midfield. And maybe Tuchel says, I need to thin that out and buy more wingbacks and focus on that area. So that'll be, that'll be something to look at as we go through. But a, a very well-set point. Rahul, your closing thoughts before we move on to the other games? I mean, I'm just going to echo what I said a few weeks ago is this is Tuchel just here for a year. Uh, let's give him the time. And I think you were saying it too. Let's give him the players and see where he takes us. We've won the Champions League already. We're in another cup final in the Carabao Cup. Uh, we've won the Super Cup. We're going to the Club World Cup. So there are a lot of positives here that have come about from him coming a year ago. Uh, we weren't going to go from being in a top four race to going and winning the title. So it is progression and, and we should make that progression this season. And then in the summer, back him and give him the right players so that when injuries, COVID, things like this happen, he's not having to play players out of position, uh, putting Pulisic at, at right center back or whatever it was one time. So um, it's going to happen. We just, I think we got all got a little excited earlier this season, and that's fair. But uh, there's a lot more to look forward to still this season. and We could still win the Champions League. Back to reality, but we have a little bit of a dream going here. So I love that. Let's talk about some other games. We'll talk about Aston Villa versus Manchester United first. And this is interesting because they played each other in the FA Cup, I believe, most recently. Man United beating them 1-0. But this game, if you haven't watched it, ended up being quite an interesting match for Manchester United. I'll give my opinion and then Alex, I'll turn it over to talk. But Man United are 2-0 up and Aston Villa come back to make it 2-2. Philip Coutinho making his debut in the second half. Uh, heavily involved in the goal that Aston Villa scored and then scores one himself. And 
my opinion so far, and I don't want to eat my foot hopefully later on in the season, is that Man United don't look any better with the new manager, Ralph Ragnick, that they've brought in. It's it's a strange one to me. Usually when you bring a manager in mid-season, you would hope for improvement. I don't even see improvement. I, in fact, see some steps taken backwards. But I'll pause here, Alex, let you share your thoughts. Yeah, I don't. I, I would agree with you there. I don't see any crazy improvement. And in, in fairness, I think it wasn't, it was well known by, I would say, Manchester United fans, especially that the manager was never the full extent of the problem. Um, and I think that's, that's somewhere we all love to, uh, we all love to <laughs> give Ole a little bit of stick, um, <laughs> especially after all the uh, very enthusiastic Ole's at the wheel uh, bravado from Manchester United fans early on. Um, but you know, even even if maybe they did need an upgrade in the managerial department, it's it's never just been the manager with Manchester United, and I think um, their fans know that as well. It's just been a a tough period with many managers coming and going, but the players just don't seem quite to be clicking. Um, they've got some quality for sure. They've got some some big names, some consistent performers. Um, maybe a little light on that at the moment, but. You know, the quality's there. The manager should probably be getting them decent results. But, you know, I, they're just it's just yet another example of a club that is just a little ways off uh, the very top level right now. And I say that uh, saying putting Chelsea, too, in, in current form, um, not I would say we're still definitely a step above Manchester United in their in their current state. But um, you just see the gap that City have opened up. Um, and that Liverpool have done quite well in pretty much keeping up with two in recent years. And, and you've just got to say these, these teams need to step it up. Everyone needs to step it up. They've raised the bar in the Premier League. Um, and if Manchester United wants to start competing again, same goes for Arsenal. If Arsenal wants to start seriously competing again, um, if Chelsea wants to really bridge that gap and, and start mounting a serious Premier League title challenge, um, you just got to bring more to the table because it's, City are city are running away with it again. Um, and Manchester, I have to say, is undoubtedly blue, <laughs> same color as London right, right now. Well, Alex says you got to bring more to the table. Villa has brought Philip Coutinho to the table. Are you happy to see him back in the Premier League? What did you make of his return? Yeah, definitely happy to see him back. He uh, has had a horrible time since he left for Barcelona, and it was good to see him come back. And um, I was always thinking of bringing more to the table when Alex was was mentioning that and everyone outside of the top six is bringing more to the table you look right. at Villa you'd never think Coutinho would be there when he left for Barcelona three years ago so the quality of the teams outside of the top six and even the teams that tend to go down uh, are is improving and and so it's almost like I think to the point Alex was making is these big teams need to be on point every single game and you know that's tough to do because injuries covid fixture congestion manager systems and all of that comes into play and uh for united you go two nil up and you think you can see it out especially with apparently the best defender yeah. in the world uh Varane in your defense and uh you can't see it out but again that comes back to villa throwing on a coutinho who's desperate to prove himself again shows what he can do and and, and gets a draw for them uh, which is on another day United win this. And I think that comes yeah. back to the point you were making is there haven't been improvements. Some people might say there have and, and 
that's an argument for another day, but I think um, United, you expect more and without Ronaldo, maybe that's, that's what was missing. Yeah, maybe, but let's move on this one. I'll just jump through really quickly. Norwich two, Everton one. I think we discussed some of the issues early on with Rafael Benitez sacking over there. And so I think this was probably the final nail in the coffin, but another interesting one was Newcastle versus Watford. Newcastle got the goal through a lovely shot through Allen and Maxima. They held on to this game till about the 85th minute, I want to say, and Watford comes back. And I think these are games that are going to end up hurting Newcastle trying to survive. So, Alex, your thoughts? I know you're a fan of St. Maxima as well. I think it's it's definitely – he's definitely a, a baller, and, and we all know that. Um, but as you said, it's if you want – if you want any chance of survival, you've got to be holding on to those leads because every point is crucial. And you don't, you don't, ideally you don't want it to be down to the last day where you could go up or go down. I think it's, it's, it's just, you know, that's just how the, that's how the league goes. That's how the games go. You have to be on top of it for 90 minutes plus stoppage time. If you shut off, uh, for just one moment, any time before the final whistle, you can and most likely will get punished. Uh, and that's, that's, I suppose, what, what uh, Newcastle have learned, but that's a costly lesson at this point in the season when they really, really need to start picking up points. Otherwise, we're going to have some extremely wealthy owners uh, <laughs> down uh, looking at their championship club and trying to attract world-class stars to the second tier of English football. Although that would be a sight to see. Hopefully Newcastle didn't have to go through that at all. But uh, no Salah, no Mane, no problem. Rahul, 3-0 to Liverpool. Business as usual, I guess. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, got to respect that it was it was Brentford. And, and, <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but Liverpool right. at home, you kind of expect them to win that game. And, and they do the business, which I guess is the important point here. Yep. Uh, and move up to second and... I think they've set themselves up well. I mean, the fixtures have given them a, a good benefit too with um, who they face while those two players are out. They've set, set, they set themselves up with postponed fixtures as well. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about that, that here in just a second. Rahul, I'll stick with you before moving to Alex to get your opinion on this. The North London derby was going to be a big one this weekend. We actually talked about it in our previous episode. It looks like Arsenal submitted to the Premier League to postpone it. Although some of the things we're hearing, it wasn't entirely down to COVID. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think it was down to injuries, suspensions. Granit Xhaka picked up a red card against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup uh, midweek. So he was going to be out of the Spurs game. Uh, and then I think they had a couple more injuries and a couple of COVID cases. And so they asked for the, the game to be postponed because I think in total, they only had 12 fit players for the first team. Uh, I think the Premier League may have asked them to play some academy players back and forth. That didn't work out. So the game was postponed. Um, but the interesting point here is they just loaned out two academy players or two players that could potentially have fit into this win in uh, Maitland-Niles. And I forget the other young player. He's, I think he's just moved to the championship. So the question here is with everything that's going on in the world with COVID, with the injuries and everything, why are teams letting players go without having maybe a replacement or someone that could take that spot in case they need to? Uh, and I think that's the issue in this transfer window is teams want to make moves. Teams want to have players go out and get some time, but they may end up needing them. Um, and so maybe that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen much activity uh, in terms of Chelsea with 
outgoings at least. Um, hopefully, we do get some incomings. Yep, Alex, your thoughts on this sticky situation? It's it's certainly hard, and as Rahul was saying, it's a little odd when you have the depth of youth talent that you do, um, because it's it's not it's not unheard of for for cancellations to occur. Certainly, we've seen that. Sometimes COVID happens, and you know you can't you can't do anything about it. Um, but I think it's also just a little odd when you see teams praising their academies and saying we've got such good youth players, we've got such good depth, we've got such good talent and they can't muster enough players to fill out the squad. I mean, I've seen a lot of a lot of people saying, you know what, these big clubs are filthy rich. They have extremely talented academies. They've got youth players at every level doing the business. Why should they be able to postpone it because a few of their uh, best world-class stars aren't available? Um, they should absolutely just have to play the game. And you know what? Worst case, you have to give a couple kids their debut. That's That's how it goes. Um, I'm personally, I, I mean, I can sort of see both sides to that, but I think, I think it's a great opportunity for clubs to sort of dip into the ranks, almost like Chelsea had to do with the transfer ban. Um, now you could say, we don't have a transfer ban. Why are, why are Chelsea not reinforcing, um, something like that, but it's, I, I think it does give opportunities to these younger players. And you see, you see how that can pay off when you have the likes of Reese James, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson, Adoy. Uh, to name a few, rising through the ranks um, and breaking into the team. I think it shows you the value of the, these academies and these youth setups. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And Rahul, I think Arsenal at one point had claimed to have the best academy in not only London, but in England. And so that's, that's an interesting statement they've made in the past. And obviously it's not working out for them necessarily. But before we move on and jump into the Brighton preview, guys, let me just talk about the Premier League table for a quick minute, just based on all the games we've covered here. Manchester City solidifying themselves at the top of the table with 56 points. Liverpool in second with 45 points, but they do have a game in hand. And so that could help close the gap and make the title race a little more interesting. Chelsea in third with 43 points. I think we only have ourselves to blame. And uh, we talked about this team a little bit, but West Ham still holding on strong at top four with 37 points. I'll just jump into the next couple of ones here because it's interesting. Arsenal in fifth with 35 points, so they can get into the top four. Tottenham Hotspurs, they've only played 18 games, and so they have quite a few games to catch up on there with 33 points. Manchester United, for all of the woes we've talked about, are there in seventh with 32 points as well with two games in hand. So it's going to get interesting. Down at the bottom of the table, Burnley rock bottom solid. Newcastle, with that draw sitting in 19th, couldn't get out of there. North City in 20, uh, sitting there with 13 points in the 18th spot. Uh, Watford just above with 14 points. So it's going to get interesting towards the end of this season. But let's move on and talk about Brighton, guys. Uh, Rahul, do you want to take us through that and start there? Yeah, so the games keep coming and Chelsea have to play Brighton this midweek. Uh, it's actually a fixture that was scheduled in February due to our involvement in the Club World Cup and now the FA Cup. This game was pulled forward which seems to only happen for Chelsea. Um, we have to travel away to Brighton and face them in the reverse fixture of what we played uh, at home at the end of last year. So it's a tough game. It's a tough trip away to Brighton. But uh, in our last two games, Brighton have picked up two draws against us, and that's as many points they've picked up in their first 11 league meetings with Chelsea. So we clearly tend to not lose 
Uh, and that's my next stat is Chelsea have never lost in 13 league meetings with Brighton, winning 10 and drawing three. It's the most the Blues have faced an op- opponent without ever losing in their league history. So hopefully I haven't jinxed this record. I hope um, not. <laughs> but we do need to bounce back and, and put some points here on the board because, as you mentioned, the teams sitting behind us have games uh, to play and catch up. So we're now in a top four race and, and we got to get as many points on the board as we can. Absolutely. Alex, do you want to take us through a potential starting 11 here? Sure. So I guess we're probably not going to see, I would say, the same front three. That that sort of speaks for itself. Um, and I think most people would agree that we do need Mason Mount back in the lineup. So, you know, some people would start with the goalkeeper, work through the defense. I'm starting with Mason Mount. Get him back in there. Please do a job. Get the job done. Um, we We know his quality. Uh, and so I think obviously we've got, we've got Keppa and Ned. I think he's done nothing to suggest he, he wouldn't start. Um, he's been very good overall for us lately. And then our center backs, I'm not too concerned with, I would say, certainly you want Rudiger in there. Uh, Silva and Saar uh, might be good choices, but I, I'm personally just not, uh, I'm not too worried about our defense. I'm a little more worried about that attack um, because we know we can, we can nullify teams, even Manchester city, I think we were uh, discussing before we really did not allow them too many opportunities. Their expected goals was well lower than it usually might be against another team. Um, so I have, I have no issues with our defense. I think probably you'll have Aspilicueta right wing back again, because we're really out of options. Um, and on left wing back, I would love to not have Marcus Alonso in there one more time. I know we have seen, uh, we have seen Kennedy back in training, but I'd, I'd go, uh, I'd probably uh, agree and go, go Callum Hudson-Odoi uh, left wing back just to bring a little bit of, of pace and attack there. I think he also definitely deserves uh, another run because goodness knows we need some attacking inspiration. Um, and it seems like he's learned how to shoot uh, with a nice little right-footed curler. So uh, maybe he'll be able to, to get in on some of that action. Um, midfield, I think, uh, our Jovicic pivot might be a, a good way to go with Jorginho and Kovacic in the middle. Um, and Golo Conte, I think we need to just be conserving his energy and making sure he's, he's fit for the really big games when we need him. And obviously every game is important, but um, I think, I think Jorginho and Kovacic go well in the midfield. I don't know. I don't know how I would, how I would put the attackers together. Cause as we've been saying, it's, we really have, six plus players who could make a push to go somewhere in our front three. It's a pretty dynamic setup. Um, I think some, a lot of people would say Kai Havertz, some were saying he should have been started against city. I think Havertz probably gets the start here. Um, I don't know if that's at the expense of Lukaku. Uh, That's a tough one. Again, it's, it's, I'm glad in this sense, I'm not Thomas Tuchel because he's got, he's got a selection headache on his hands, but What's tough is you don't really know in this form which one of our attackers might turn up on a given day. So um, honestly, if if I'm if I'm Tuchel, I would go Lukaku again up top and say, "This is your chance. Bury some goals for us. We brought you in for this crazy price tag. Um, go get the job done." And then I would have Timo or Kai supporting him. Yeah, again, like we've already discussed, Chelsea has an abundance of talent. Here we are with another strong lineup. I like what you said about the defense, Alex, because I think that really is what the core of the strength that Thomas Tuchel brought. And so hopefully we can come back to keeping clean sheets. But yes, 
up front, we've got to find a way to unlock a, a good scoring, you know, form of run. So Rahul, any thoughts on this starting lineup? If not, maybe jump into a score prediction from your end. No, I'm happy with that lineup. I think uh, we do need to refresh it up top and Mason Mount is key to that. So um, him being in there will already help me feel better about our chances uh, and the rest of them, I think, is, is a good fit. So in terms of score predictions, I, I'm i going to go for a 1-0 uh, to Chelsea. But this could also be one of those games where we're thinking we're not going to score as many and we come out and surprise everyone and ourselves included. Uh, but for the sake of this, I'm going to go 1-0. Let's hope for that surprise. We need the goals. Alex, what are you thinking? I'd have to personally go with 2-0. I think, I think we've got a couple goals in us, hopefully, um, after drawing a blank against City. And I think it's we just we just need a win. It's not been – we can't pretend that this has been been horrible. I mean, really, as we've seen, like we've only lost, I don't know what it is now, one game in our last however many. Um, but it's, it's just crucial points at this stage because, to be, to be honest, we are talking about at this point a top four race, and even though – we're in a decent position at the moment. You can't afford to, to let anyone slip up because as we've said, the end of the season is going to get interesting. There are a lot of clubs that are really pushing to get those champions league spots. Um, and unless, you know, the only reason I'd be okay with us dropping out of that race is if we obtain champions league qualification <laughs> in another way, which would be good old super Thomas Tuchel doing the double of the champions league in his first two seasons. But barring that, I think we need the win and I'm going to nil. Wouldn't that be something to get back-to-back Champions League? That would be incredible. But, hey, I'm happy with the wins, guys. I'm going to go for a win as well. I've gone for 2-1. I feel like Tariq Lamte always causes a little bit of trouble when he comes back. And so I'm hoping that that's the worst that he can do is get one goal. But that kind of takes it takes it for the score predictions. We're all going for wins. Well, do you want to take us home? I do. Just before I do, there's a little matter of the Carabao Cup second leg between Liverpool and Arsenal. So, um an opportunity to maybe face an opponent that we haven't in a while in the final in Liverpool or Arsenal and get some revenge. So uh, definitely keep an eye out for that too. And then there's a bunch more uh, Premier League games, one of them being Leicester versus Spurs. So that should bring up some fun memories from the last day of the season, uh, last season. So uh, good football games coming up this week and the AFCON continues. So uh, wishing Ghana good luck and hopefully they qualify. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Uh, and do drop Alex a follow, too. It's at FC 22 on Instagram and Twitter. He's he's turned around and, and taken to Twitter quite a bit and trolling some people. So uh, definitely check it out. And send us your feedback, send us your questions. And we will be back later this week with a new episode. Uh, but until then, stay safe and up the chels.